All right, Nostalgia Trappers, David Parsons here, ready to go if you are. Got a great conversation with the one and only Matt Christman about a little film called Boogie Nights coming your way in just a minute. I, I just had to say a couple things about Boogie Nights first uh, that, that I don't think maybe came up in this conversation. Um, you know, Boogie Nights is, is a top, top nostalgia trap film for me in every single way. I mean... I watched it when I was young, but it's also about a period of time that happened before I was alive, the 70s, um, that we've talked about many times, the sort of obsession with the world of your parents. Uh, it's got a lot to do with that, but I started watching it in the late 90s. Boogie Nights is a film that I totally tied up with like being in school, studying film, and thinking I was going to be a filmmaker or something like that, really caught up in the whole Tarantino 90s indie film scene, but also thinking very much about sort of the 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 uh, what Paul Thomas Anderson represented. To me, it was like um, Paul Thomas Anderson. I, I I felt like was 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 our Kubrick, and by that I meant like this is going to be an auteur. This guy's going to be an auteur on the level of uh, of Stanley Kubrick, someone who I regard as like the top of uh, of of Hollywood filmmaking. So. You know, watching that evolution happen over the last 20 years, that's uh, 20 or so years, that's part of what I wanted to talk to Matt Crispin about. We, we, we ended up having a conversation a lot about sort of filmmaking and what happened in the 90s and what's happened to these filmmakers since because their careers evolved and they, their careers evolved in very different sorts of ways. Uh, but Boogie Nights is a film that... I don't think there's any contest. I have rewatched Boogie Nights so more more than any other film. Uh, maybe Goodfellas, but like I mentioned in this conversation, Boogie Nights and Goodfellas are basically the same movie. Um, lots of really cool camera stuff, uh, a rise and fall kind of American story, and uh, a final 30 minutes of total cocaine psychosis. That's sort of what those movies are. But there's a lot, you know, they, the reason I rewatch Boogie Nights, you know, it's changed over my, over my life since I've been watching this movie for like tw over 20 years. You know, I've I've stuck. I've I've. It's basically been a, a home to me, like a, a constant companion. No matter what's changed in my life, I've always had these 1970s San Fernando Valley porn family people to go back to and inhabit these spaces. I mean, I know I mentioned this light thing a lot, and I I I, I think I definitely told uh, uh told Matt about the the the, the light thing uh, with California. You know, and people, it's kind of a cliche to sort of talk about the sunshine in California, but the way that certain filmmakers capture it, and there's certain like little tiny moments. One of them for me, in you know, I've mentioned in, in Zodiac, uh, the way that Fincher captures the light coming in through the windows in that boathouse where Robert Downey Jr.'s character is, you know, completely uh, burned out and falling off the rails. Something about the way that the light falls on Robert Downey Jr.'s pale white leg in that scene. I know this is kind of like druggy stuff. But to me, like there's something, um, there's something really like hyper resonant about that, about that light, particularly um, the the sunshine inside when you're inside in California, what the sunshine looks like when um, as it filters through the windows. And there's a moment in um, in Boogie Nights that always to me, like I'm, I, I want to pause it, and I always wonder. Is, do people see the same thing that I see in this ridiculous scene? It's a scene where um, things are kind of going uh, really, uh, really bad with uh, uh, um, with Dirk and Todd Parker, uh, and um, they're 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 doing coke in the in the in the living room, uh, and that and and 
Heather Graham's character, Roller Girl, comes in, and it's the same pale leg sunshine. It's the same thing. And I, that, I mean, it's a, it's a weird connection to make. I, it makes me think of like Wayne Kostenbaum's class that I took at the Graduate Center many years ago where he was sort of pausing in on these really, really specific moments in, 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 in films and pointing to like the way light hit like buttons on people's garments and was connecting it to, um, I don't know, sort of like a portal, a portal into a, a, a sort of feeling that we're chasing when we watch these movies again and again. And that's the best way that I can explain it. Um, but, you know, Todd Parker, is a, the, the character played by Thomas Jane, who comes up in this conversation with Matt, who's kind of a, uh, both of our favorite character in some way. You know, something about Thomas Jane's performance as Todd Parker in this film that just captures how exciting and brutal and hilarious this movie is. Um, and, and you know, the, the, that, that scene where they're doing coke together on the coffee table, it's just like a two-second thing. But that's where Todd Parker, and I, well, I, won't be, I won't be able to capture Thomas Jane's delivery of this line, but this is where he says, like, oh, that's, this is that carpet dope. It's like where they, when they're mixing up in the bathtub, they throw a hunk of carpet in it, and it's like it's a lot better than that pink shit. That pink shit has fish gills in it. Um, that little bit that of, of, of Coke talk where he's talking about the pink shit with fish gills in it and throwing a hunk of carpet and bathtub in the bathtub to make the, it's such like deep dope talk. Uh, but again, it's this kind of stuff that drives my rewatching this film again and again, the sort of multi-layered, um, multi-layered sort of, uh, picture of Southern California, of celebrity, of drugs, um, it's a it's it's a hell of a movie, and and it, it, it I think that this was a first conversation on nostalgia trap about Boogie Nights. I wanted to bring uh, Matt Christman in because I know he uh, he's watched this film a lot, and and he has a lot to say about it too. So this is a really fun conversation. It's sort of a uh, I feel like it's a, sort of a state of the art conversation. Um, but I I I feel like you know. I want to make it clear that Paul Thomas Anderson to me is still like the auteur. I'm still very much in love with what he's doing and he's evolved in his aesthetic and his values and his concerns. I think we talked about him being cozy pilled by Maya Rudolph, but I fucking love the master inherent vice. Um, his later films are just to me, like they're just getting better and better and better. I don't know if you feel that way. I don't know if Boogie Nights is as much of a, total mind fuck for you as it is for me, but I'm still watching Boogie Nights. Um, and it was, you know, it was like witnessing the birth of this, uh, of this incredible force of, of, of filmmaking that I'm going to be sort of obsessed with. Um, and, and I wanted to unpack that obsession. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt Christman. You all know, uh, Matt Christman, but his stuff is, is really great. And on, um, you know, Obviously, we know him from Chapo Trap House, but his Instagram live stuff and all his commentary, uh, not only on politics, but pop culture, too, uh, is really fun. And I had a really fun conversation. So I hope to bring Matt on again very soon to talk about some more movies and TV shows, etc. cetera. Uh, and thanks for being a Nostalgia Trap patron. You guys make the whole thing really fun and make the whole thing uh, keep going. So thanks so much. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday and enjoy this conversation with me and Matt Christman on Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is the film we're, 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 we're talking about today. That's um, what we goddamn came here to motherfucking do. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that already, that I just watched that scene, and that, that, <laughs> that Todd Parker saying that is just such a purely American, beautiful moment. It's like, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, I feel like so many people are, are going to feel that way in the coming years. It's, it's one of the best line readings ever. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It's so richly because it, it's a full. He knows that he is doomed. He knows that it was not going to work and it was never going to work, but he's committed to doing it no matter what. And it's just instant death. I love how he trips over the lamp even as he's like yep. heading into the room. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we've been talking about on the show uh, sort of the movies that we've watched a million times over and over and trying to in- interrogate why. I don't know if you're the type of dude that like rewatches movies over and over. Um, but is Boogie Nights a film you've seen a million times? Oh, yeah. When did, did you start watching it in the 90s? I, I saw it. I saw it. I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it shortly after it came out. Uh, on I think it might have even been VHS, although it might have maybe DVD. Uh, but no, I, I, I watched it number of times uh after that uh at home yeah i i remember being very excited about it as like a cinema guy i mean part of it was like I'm, i've been talking about on the show lately roger ebert's reviews on uh his website in the 90s were like a key text they were like one of the only places i could go um to think about movies for whatever reason and ebert was like a big Scorsese guy uh, and then when this film came out he had already uh, talked about Hard Eight I was like I was like really primed for it and the 90s were like I don't know there was I feel like this film kind of fell into uh, a different category I mean it was w- within that sort of like indie thing that was going on watching it now like all those stars are like some of the they were in the best films of the 90s in other words like all the films that were coming out in Hollywood that were not Marvel films in the 90s they were like I don't know they were all like murder mysteries starring Ashley Judd and Morgan Freeman. That seemed like the main oh, 90s yeah. film. Double Wait, Jeopardy. Kiss the Girls. Nothing wrong yep. with any of those movies. In fact, I just tweeted that I wish every movie was Primal Fear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this one was like, I don't know. People put Scorsese on it, but it feels like, it felt like a Jonathan Demi movie. I feel like Silence of the Lambs and Loving Silence of the Lambs prepared me to watch uh, Boogie Nights, if that makes sense. Mm. No, that yeah, that makes sense. Lots of fake, lots of close-ups. <laughs> Um, can you explain to me something that uh, about this film that that I feel like is part of the mystique is that Burt Reynolds is so fu- how is Burt Reynolds so good in this movie and <laughs> in a, in a movie that he like didn't seem to understand uh, or or didn't like like it's it's kind of famous that he like didn't like PTA and didn't like the movie and everything like that but to me like he's like he's kind of like the emotional glue of the whole movie it's like an insanely good performance he's fantastic and. I think it's because uh, Anderson was, uh, it, I mean, directors get performances out, you know, out of actors from a variety of means. Some of it is collaborative, but uh, a lot of the times it's just picking the right person. And with with Burt Reynolds, it was that combination of just movie star charisma and and presence and the fact that he was a wa- washed up old guy, and yeah. like that 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 combination was the embodiment of of you know jack horner uh who is he's a legend in this in this world but it's a sad sort of uh uh a sad reflected uh degraded version of what he clearly wanted to do you Mm. know yeah like he, he clearly saw himself as a filmmaker and you know it's like well, okay you're you're making the best pornos but that's kind of by definition means you're making the worst movies <laughs> because <laughs> they have to have nudity and, and and people having sex for people to watch them but he doesn't feel that way and like burt reynolds was sort of that guy like he he was the biggest star in the world in the 70s uh but he never really he was never really a actor you know like he wasn't somebody who took it seriously as any kind of art or craft and 
and and as such like when it went away he just sort of you know was left with the the skills that had gotten him there but without any of the understanding of what his like life had been which i think makes him uh a better pick than the original uh person who was offered the role warren Beatty would have been jesus Uh, christ is that right yeah, yeah. Warren, that's one of the million roles that Warren Beatty turned down in the <laughs> 90s and aughts. Like, he was also offered uh, Bill in the Kill Bill movies. What's this guy's problem? He just doesn't like being in things ex- unless he's directing <laughs> them. Like, it's so funny because the last thing that he was in was some awful movie about Howard Hughes that he directed. Oh, that's right. Jesus. Yeah. When was that? Uh, like three years ago or so, three or four years ago. I'm surprised that guy's still like doing anything. Yeah, not very much. He just kind of goes to award shows, it seems like now. Didn't he fuck up the award show with Faye Dunaway? He did. Him and Faye Dunaway, they uh, created one of the funniest moments ever. The best part <laughs> of that moment is how pissed the La La Land producer clearly is. When he <laughs> so, like he is, he is trying to be magnanimous, but he is just boiling with rage. It's, it's so it's perfect funny. because he knows he has to. He knows like he's trapped because it's moonlight. It's this film, you know, it's about like, it's about very woke issues. So it's very impossible. It's like, it's, it's he's stuck in that. Yeah, in no, that he moment. had to be happy for yeah. them, no matter yeah. how infurious he was. But it like perfectly encapsulates that politics because it's like, I'm trapped by this. I wish I weren't. Yeah. So fucked up. Come um, on up. Moonlight, come on up and get your Oscar. <laughs> um, what what is the appeal of Boogie Nights to you? I'm, what, I mean, for me, like, we just did Goodfellas, and like, part of it is like the ride element of it. It feels like when you get on Goodfellas or Boogie Nights, they're like the same movie in a lot of ways. You're like kind of like gonna go up and down, and like I don't know, yeah. there's like a there's a pull to it. There's an energy to it. Uh, is that does it? How, why do you watch Boogie Nights again and again? Uh, it's it's that the pull is the perfect word and it's yeah. very similar to like goodfellas is a very similar movie in that once you're started watching them the narrative momentum is such every scene connects to the one before it and and the one that's coming after it in such a way that you just you have to keep watching it because especially and especially the more times you've seen it the more you know what's coming you know mm-hmm. you know oh this like oh there there's going to be oh the little bills uh going to shoot himself and his wife and her uh, lover at the at the uh, new year's eve party and oh 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 this is the donut scene like you know it's coming and you just you got to see it because they're so perfectly executed and there's so many of them in a row it's almost like um like a a good album like i'll I'll date myself listening to cds but like a good cd was the one that you didn't have to like skip any yeah like you have the maximum yeah like the maximum run of like oh there's seven songs that just fucking rule and then like you get to the shitty part and like boogie nights there's very few if any scenes that i feel like clicking through and there's like um I don't know. There's also like the more you watch it, the more the little moments become those things. Like I, when I first watched it, I was ready. I was always looking for like the squib shots. I wanted the like little bill uh, or the donut shop robbery. Yeah. You know, all that shit was just like, that's what I'm waiting for. But now it's like stuff like little bill, like messing up the line and saying like she has an ass in her cock. She got an ass uh, in her cock in the driveway. <laughs> right. Um, and even in that same scene, Ricky Jay like turning tur- and walking down. The walking driveway back to end. check it out. Yeah, that's so good. It's cut so perfectly too. It's just like the rhythm of it is just a perfect beat. And now I'm like, God, Ricky Jay is gone. Philip Seymour Hoffman's gone. Burt Reynolds is gone. This, this yeah. movie's a fucking holocaust. Watching yeah. it. Um, yeah. 
What do you th- what do you think of Mark Wahlberg in this movie? Because he became such a different figure in Hollywood after this. Wahlberg is another case where I think the the he, brilliant brilliant performance, but purely because Anderson knew uh, what he was dealing with. Like because Mark Wahlberg is as much of a empty headed dumbass as uh, as Dirk Diggler is. As but as like charismatic and talented, you know, like there's a reason that Wahlberg became a movie star. Like he has he has it, and uh, so did Dirk. But neither of them know what it is, and that's sort of <laughs> that's sort of their yeah. tragedies. Is is that like they're they're technically artists, right? Like, mm-hmm. but they do not have any sense of like their own gifts or what they are. Of course, you know, Dirk Diggler's is literally just having a big dick. But you know, uh, art is life. There are shadows in life, man. He's got a great big cock. Um, He's got a great big cock, and he knows how to use it. But it's like but that's fucking... all he knows. Just like Dirk, just like Mark Wahlberg, you know, he he can he's he can command a room and he can uh, hit him hit a mark, but he doesn't know why he's doing it. He's basically a a, a animal. And he <laughs> and he's another dude that uh that kind of doesn't like this movie. I think that he he's like disowned this movie too. Yes, yes, because he feels like it was a sin or something. Jesus Christ! You know, he published like his um his like routine, his uh, long like a oh yeah, I remember you know, that. And, and said he said he got up at like two in the morning to pray for an hour. Yeah, uh, and then like do I watched anymore. this. I don't know why I would watch this, but I saw like a James Corden clip on YouTube of him like going to his house and he doesn't he he wasn't up praying like he said sometimes like he he he, he like sometimes he skips that and it seems like that's more <laughs> more of a show like in other words. Yeah. Maybe well, that just, maybe that was bullshit. That's what I'm saying. I I suspect it might be the case. I think he might just be trying to, uh, you know, like a like like a, like a like a mischievous uh, uh, a mischievous uh, choir boy trying to uh, <laughs> stay on his mom's good side, you know, by making sure that she knows that he's in church. Where does where does Boogie Nights fall in the PTA like library for you now? Because I mean, I remember. I was, so I was this is really lame but I was I was in I was in school I was in college when these movies were coming out and I was in film studies department so like we were all geeking out on this guy and we were like thinking you know this guy's gonna make a million great movies in his life um, and after this it was Magnolia and then Punch Drunk Love and then like you know the rest but I wonder like when I go back to Boogie Nights and it's like sort of tracing where he was and what he was doing in the 90s it does seem a little bit different from like films like I don't know, The Master and There Will Be Blood. There seems like there was a shift. I wonder like what you think about when you go back to Boogie Nights. Is it something that like, oh, this guy was always on the same track or or has he like evolved in some in some like, I don't know, way that, that's unrecognizable from Boogie Nights to you? You could see a, a lot. Well, I, I think of his, his work so far is, is now that he's had eight movies. It's, it's like divided in half. Like his early mm-hmm. films uh, with the John Bryan scores and the big sweeping camera movements and the sort of man-child protagonists and then the uh, the more like mature post-cocaine uh, Maya Rudolph uh, married uh, settled down P.T. Anderson movies with lockdown cameras and, and the Johnny Greenwood score uh, and sort of more focused uh, uh, protagonists. Uh, and the thing about Boogie Nights, though, is that of those early movies, it's the one that seems to be the least uh, personal, I guess, in sense mm. of like uh, of like vulnerability, like a, 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 a sort of an authorial vulnerability to them. 
emo it's movies. More, like yeah. Mag- Magnolia is like maximum emo. PTA. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then like Punch Drunk Love too. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess like this, so. Yeah, like these. I feel very... like Punch Drunk Love was like. I feel like he knew though. Like he knew. Like oh fuck. Like I went to Frog Rain. <laughs> like I went to like this because I watched Magnolia recently. And it's like, dude, it's so long and there's so much. There's so much extra. It's like a very extra movie and it's yeah. a very like. I say emo because it's like God. This is like a. This is like a singer songwriter kind of thing this is like a very like um I, I don't, I, it's fiona apple you know and like fiona yeah. apple's on the wall even in that movie right yeah. there's like a painting well that was oh. well they were dating yeah right yeah they're 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 stormy romance during that period right but, so right i feel yeah. like that yeah that's that and then by punch drunk love i feel like he there was like some aesthetic turn because like with the there's something going on with like the sort of like rhythm the drums uh the the way that the, that punch drunk love sort of has this one hour and a half it's not three hours of john c Riley improvising it feels like a tighter story yeah uh oh definitely and having like sandler there sort of as as, as not it's not a, really a gimmick but that's definitely a thing to hide behind in a sense like the self like hiding himself behind it mm. but with uh so i think like boogie nights is less revealing about like personal stuff but it's instead what it has is this seems to me anyway this almost like purgative invocation of like childhood memories yeah you know because like he famously made that he made a version of the the amber waves documentary like when he was in high school you know and like that that the idea of like doing a movie about 70s porno is like a, a childhood thing and so it was his chance, given given a a, a budget after a hard eight, to to just throw that shit out there, uh, and and then like from that point on, sort of move to more personal work. I feel like that um, that opening sequence feels very personal, and I, by that I mean like the Dirk Diggler's Dirk Diggler Eddie Adams house. Uh, that house kills me. There's something mm-hmm. about that, and I feel like. There's like, it's just, I think of like coffee cups and mugs and like wooden, uh, you know, wooden kitchen cabinets and, uh, you know, orange appliances and all these little close ups on all this sort of like, I feel like that's his nostalgia stuff in there. And especially in Eddie Adams bedroom, that sequence of like the camera, like peeling around all those posters. I almost feel like that's PTA's room growing up. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I think where the difference comes is that, you know, he had that he had that room, I believe, and he he had those dreams, but he also had, you know, uh, talent. He had like a point of view, whereas right. he's essentially imagining with Dirk Diggler, like, all right, what if all I had instead was a giant penis? <laughs> what, what, but I still had those same dreams, like yeah. as we all do, like especially in L.A., you know, in, in Hollywood, like you, and, and the more that you're, uh, the, the more that you find yourself marinating in you know the value system of the entertainment that you're surrounded by you know being anything other than famous being anything other than special is death mm-hmm. so we're all sort of driven to try to be noticeable but not everybody has the same abilities you know and and it feels like boogie nights is sort of like what if all i had was a big dick they should have called the movie that <laughs> um we're part of the reason we're thinking about like I'm thinking about LA movies in the 90s and things like that is like is is the the 90s the 90s is a very particular moment in the history of Los Angeles um and a very particular moment in the history of the of the country as this sort of like interregnum between uh you know the cold war and 911 uh and the new sort of new sort of century that was coming i mean 
where's Boogie Nights fall for you in that in that whole in that whole world? Because it's like it's, it's like the Clinton years. This is like um, I think about Boogie Nights and like the the fact that it was about about porn. Like there's something going on in the culture about like sex positivity and stuff like that. This film like doesn't feel like it's connected to that at all, and yet it is like within that milieu. Yeah, I remember reading the Owen Gleiberman review of this movie, and, oh God. and his his main <laughs> argument was that he thought it was like very sex negative, and that it was very sort of uh, that it was judgmental, and and that and I honestly uh, don't think that that's true, especially given the way that the movie ends. I don't think you could say that it's some sort of Jeremiah against against porn, but uh, it's definitely not. Uh, it's definitely uh, uh, ambivalent about it in a way that, like, the culture in the '90s really wasn't. Yeah, no, I could see that. Um, I'm thinking about what is that? There was like a documentary. Is it Rashida Jones that put that out? Oh yeah, that was that. That's that's like a sex porn negative yeah. type thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the the movie feels like it's a uh, it's 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 part of uh, it's part of something and not. I mean, it's it, it feels like a Tarantino movie. I think a lot of people like sort of thought that that he was falling into into like Tarantino world at the same time. And those two have it, it's interesting because the the parallel between those two, it's weird. I mean, it didn't it didn't Tarantino like basically start moving into doing films about American history after he saw There Will Be Blood and felt like. He he had been one upped in some way. Well, they definitely they they are they are apparently they are no they are very they're friends. Like there's that's the, I, that Fiona Apple had that uh, interview oh, recently she where she talks yeah. about <laughs> about ha- doing cocaine with uh, them in their screening room where they're just complimenting each other for uh, four hours, which I can understand why that would be a, a sobering moment for you. But uh, <laughs> but you know they're clearly they clearly see themselves as as their as each other's equivalent. You know the guy the, they're about the same age. Uh, and they're both they both are people who came of age just marinating in movies and then like whatever degree they have a personal sensibility it is almost entirely like layered with film as opposed to other type other directors i mean now that's the model because now nobody yeah. is a director yeah. who used to have another job but that wasn't always the model you know before the 70s before like uh before the, uh, the 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 rise of uh, film schools and stuff, like directors had other jobs. Directors were other sort of they had life experiences outside of making movies, mm. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, like you know, uh, uh, um, Samuel Fuller, for example, would be a good example. Uh, but now directors are essentially that's all they've ever done is direct stuff, and so their only real. Uh, uh, frame of reference is film and tarantino and uh i mean scorsese has obviously an early version of that and that's they're both yeah sort of in i mean his I, wake. I kind of but they're but they're but those are guys that are like more contemporary of each other and so i feel like they are in sort of a dialectic which is other because that they clearly have they see each other's movies and it clearly makes them makes them think about yeah. you know what their next response is going to be Right, and I mean, I, I mean, Fincher's in there too, and I'm like we're stuck with these like '90s like auteurs in some way, but like it feels like I, I feel like they're like dinosaurs in in uh, in, in the industry. Like I, I mean, I mentioned Marvel and, and like the way that the Hollywood went. Um, it feels like that generation is almost the last generation of those kind of like those kind of like bratty, bratty swaggering film school. Oh days. yeah, no, everyone has been like every, everyone is as uh, as. Uh, as 
tamed, I guess, as un as as unexperienced outside of film as them. Like it's not like anybody is anything other than you know just just a little hot house flower of of uh, of film experience has never been outside of a movie uh, set in their adult life. But now they've been the the the, the conveyor belt from getting noticed in an indie per, indie film or a relatively small film and then getting just brought into the big leagues of billion dollar franchises means that the, any kind of yeah. uh, individual sensibility has been basically beaten out of you before you have a chance to even articulate a uh, point of view. Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, on the one hand, I was like, fuck these guys. How come there's only a few PTAs and, and, and Quentin Tarantinos that get to do this? You know, and like there was always a feeling that like the, the that art should be democratized. But then there's like, well, there are these special artists, you know, these these uh, these ones that are that have special um, uh, visions to present us. But I don't know that where I don't even know where PTAs movies fit into the larger culture today. You know what I mean? Like when I think about movies like inherent vice um uh, or or phantom thread especially i'm like who i know that film people watch that i know that there are people that like found it really sumptuous and beautiful and romantic i love phantom thread but at the same time i'm like where the fuck does that fit in the rest of the zeitgeist <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's a part uh, of the zeitgeist at all no whereas then boogie like boogie nights felt like oh this is hip cool this fits in with pulp fiction this fits in with like a sort of revolution of like bratty uh hipsters that are making cool movies that are changing hollywood where it feels like pta today is just making like prestigious awesome movies that like are kubrick level to me in terms of their quality uh at the same time i don't i don't know where they where they are culturally i i, I don't know maybe his next one which is what i think about it, it's a, it's back in the valley in the 70s it's like a return to boogie nights territory i i don't know what's your what's your read on that i know tarantino's movies are probably more in the zeitgeist I, honestly at this point i feel like anybody who is who has been grandfathered in uh as a auteur a brand name auteur who can get movies made that they want to get made on their own terms essentially yeah uh, right uh, that's their own genre of film now right right like ev- it, it's it's disconnected from all other film because all other film is completely hostage to you know the 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 uh the macroeconomics of hollywood and that's that, that, i oh. Yeah, that's a really to me. Uh, that's a really interesting way of putting it because it's like I feel. I mean, I feel like that that you know there were like the, the the sort of discourse in the '90s about the about the the new filmmakers, the indie filmmakers especially, was like, well, they're changing Hollywood. We're going to give Oscars to these films now, etc. But then like Miramax, which was like the stamp of quality to me in the '90s. Like if I saw Miramax on the front of a movie in like the early '90s, I was like, this is going to be a good movie. But then at some point, that became uh, not a mark of quality anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it is like sort of like a niche thing. It's like the idea that PTA is his own genre. Tarantino is his own genre. They aren't, they aren't like um, sort of in a larger conversation. That's kind of a, right. that's kind of a disturbing idea. Yeah, because I remember because I was I was blown away by Tarantino as as a kid because you know it was it was it was pitched directly towards guys like me demographically and and it was like like the same stuff I like. Uh, engaged by the same elements of film that I w- uh, was engaged by and was uh, challenged my expectations about what I was going to see in a movie and so I was like I want more of this and thankfully uh, during that indie film boom of the 90s there were 7 million Tarantino knockoffs that came yeah. out every week and I saw probably uh, two thirds of them and they were all terrible 
but you could all you could see Tarantino like his influence metastasizing throughout film whereas now though those there's no new versions of those directors and all we have are the legacies who just are able to create their own work on their own terms because of a legacy branding that means that there's a dollar amount there's a dollar amount attached to them as a director and as the creator of a film that means that the the uh harsh uh ledger economics that determine what we get in films otherwise don't apply to them mm. but that means that similar that means that whatever they do can't end up truly diffusing anywhere other than in like maybe the the most broadest like uh subject matter ways uh because anybody who's going to want to try to riff on it is going to have to do it in this fully fully artistically uh deracinated context uh, yeah it's like uh <laughs> Um, Boondock Saints is 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 what comes to mind. Oh um, yeah, uh, uh, because I, and and it was it's it's funny because it's like it's sort of like there's a cultural literacy to it. Like like all my roommates went crazy for Boondock Saints, and and mm. I was kind of and and a couple me and my other friends were like not so into it. You know, we felt like it was like a ripoff in some way, but the others felt like they couldn't tell the difference between Pulp Fiction and Boondock Saints, and it was sort yeah. of like you know what I mean. Like there was that phenomenon of like a uh, uh, two days in the valley, a million. Oh yeah, movies, a million. Uh, truth movies. and Consequences, New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, things to do in Denver when you're things dead. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. That was not. That was one of the better ones, actually. Would you call Out of Sight a Pulp Fiction ripoff? No, definitely not a really Pulp good. Fiction ripoff. Uh, although it's clearly one of those movies that's hard to imagine getting made without, and it's hard to imagine them giving it to Soderbergh at that point, who had basically kind of totaled his bankability in Hollywood with all of his that's right. uh, small, weird films that barely got distributed. Uh, it was it was balding gray. Yeah, uh, they were able that. Yeah, I, I mean, without Tarantino, it's hard to imagine them getting that movie made. But you know, one of the things that that makes Soderbergh, uh, you know, a a great director is that he didn't just do what all those other guys, but guys did when they were when they were just trying to riff on the Tarantino, uh, the the Tarantino market's share. No, and I think Soderbergh's one of the smartest guys in Hollywood because at some point when things were getting real shitty in like the 2010s, he just said, "I'm going to be a painter." Uh, yeah. even, <laughs> that's that's to me where where the, where the the guys go when they when they need to sort of like get away from it all. But he came back like he didn't. Well, he didn't. what happened was is that he basically said, "I'm done trying to get movies uh, funded. Mm -hmm. uh, peace out. I'll I'll go shoot this TV show." And then th while he was waiting. Netflix guys decided to do all the cocaine in the world and give uh, whatever, blank checks to name brand directors and so Soderbergh was able now now he's able to do whatever he wants but he won't he just has to have accepted the fact that it probably will never be seen in a movie theater no Boogie Nights has a discourse of this whole history. Like, if you, uh, like, there's a sort of like, there's a lot about film production in the movie. Like, you know, obviously it's yeah. about porno, but like, there's that scene in the diner at the beginning where like, uh, Burt Reynolds is saying, you know, he's prescribing the whole process, right? Like, we need to get, it takes a lot of money to make a movie. Um, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts. He like basically describes the realities of the industry um, and says, but, you know, if you make a good one, there's no limit to the amount of money you can make off of it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then, like, you know, the, the, that scene at the uh, with the 80s party i mean the 80s party is literally like end of era 
digital filmmaking is coming. You know, film the, the sort of like we're 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 fucked here if we don't like change the way we technologically do this. The real people are showing up like what the, they're turning into amateur porn. These I are mean, the real people in the world, right? Doesn't that feel like uh like like almost like PTA was like I don't know he was like he was in that discourse about like where we're headed and what we're doing with this shit. Well, yeah. What he recognizes is that is that like the the amount of artistic pretension that can be sustained within any any uh film is fully dependent on uh the amount of money you can get to make it yeah. uh uh and, and that and that that means that questions of like art are inherently polluted that 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 uh like we can laugh at jack horner for his sort of pathetic delusion to say you know i want i want uh, i want a porno movie that'll make them come and then make them feel but that's what everybody making a movie is basically doing they they are they are accepting certain constraints on content and on form and on like uh and on event within the narrative in order to have access to the money to put it in a movie theater and the, and the jacking off part is the like first goal, right? Like yeah. you have to you have to get them in the seat. You have that's to get you- them in the seat exactly. <laughs> that's true whether you're making an art, an actual like film, film or a porno. It's just a different of degree, and I mean it, it's a different it's a difference of talent in some cases, but certainly not at all. Uh, my, in, in, with the money, with with the, the the production, my favorite quote related to that is when uh, Jack introduces Dirk to. Uh, the colonel and says this is the colonel uh, he puts up all the money for the films it's an important part of the process <laughs> yeah it is an important it is an important part of, part of the process it is yeah. a very important part of the process um those parties at the, that at, at th- those houses i think or that that house the the two like sequences whether it be the 79 to 80 new year's party or that pool party that it's at the beginning those are long ass sequences those mm-hmm. like and that camera like snakes around. I feel like you know when we're talking about like the ride of the film, you're 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 sort of like when you're in that party scene. There's nowhere you can pause it, and it you know it feels like you're you know you're even like diving into the camera or diving into the pool at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Watch. I was watching it this weekend again, and you know just ending it, I'm like ready to watch it again. There's it's, yeah. It is there is a drug element to it. Like there is a kind of like. Um, the more you watch it, the more you want it. Um, but yeah, that watching it again, that, those scenes are really long and it feels like they're really key to sort of like the magnetism of the film. I want to sit in it. I want to, I want to be in this space. I mean, for me, I'm from this area. I lived very close to Sherman way. I went to that donut shop. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, I, that was sort of an, an area where I lived when I was in my early twenties. Um, and so like that, that all that seems very familiar to me. And I think that's part of the sort of nostalgia of watching this movie is sort of like, um, just being in a space, just literally like hanging out with these people, even though fucked up things are going to happen. Um, it feels like that's, that's part of it. I wonder what is it spatially for you? Does that, does that like, does that, cause I know you're not from the Valley, you're not a Southern California guy, but like, no. But yeah. I mean, if anything, it was sort of the opposite. What made right. it fascinating to me was how unfamiliar it was. Mm. Yeah. Like the uh, even I mean, I feel like the things that he gets right about Southern California, particularly L.A., are really like visual, like in terms of like the the way the sun goes comes through 
comes through windows you know it's it's it doesn't look the way it does in other parts of the country and i feel like that's been one of the things that he's done that i've appreciated the most is sort of projected that it's kind of odd saying that seeing that like every hollywood movie is made in la right. like la yeah. people but but pta like somehow gets the the light here in a way that the yeah. other filmmakers no no that, like that i remember I, did, I didn't visit la until i was in my 30s yeah uh so it was and and when I visited it, it, it was an experience of sort of constant deja vu because of how many movies I'd seen that were all shot there. But oh, the more time I've spent there, the more I realize that like there are only a few films and directors that are actually able to make that uh, that I'm actually thinking of when I'm in those moments. You know what I mean? That that are actually able to convey a a, a visual sense of the place, independent of just what it looks like. And uh, and and uh, PTA is definitely one of them. Yeah, Tarantino um, is another one, by the way. Yeah, I mean, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is 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 maybe the like the the, the magnum opus of Hollywood sunshine. Um, yeah, the sort of like when he's when when Brad Pitt is driving around in Ho- in Hollywood um, in that film. That's that to me captures it better than anything I've seen. Um, didn't like PTA take a take a break. Um, after Magnolia, and he's like, I feel like both him and Tarantino took like couple year breaks from making films after, after around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's like a, there's a gap there. Uh, uh, I think there was a gap between, uh, mag, uh, between punch trunk love, uh, and, uh, there will be blood, and there will be blood, dude. That's like, a there huge was a significant, gap. There was a significant gap there, and Tarantino. That's uh, the gap was uh, after Jackie Brown, right? It was like almost five years, I think, before yeah. he did Kill Bill Volume One. That's about. right. Yeah, I remember when Kill Bill came out, and it was kind of like, oh shit, I forgot that Tarantino existed <laughs> yeah. as a filmmaker. It's, yeah. I mean, but it's weird because it's, it's sort of like I'm, I'm glad you brought up the sort of like maturity of these filmmakers because it's sort of like. I don't know. You said like the, the, the Tarantino got married too, right? Nathan yes, Tarantino he is married. Got married and kid. They both got cozy pilled. Yes. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder what that is because it, it, both of them, like they, their, their early films are real poppy. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of violence, a lot of sex, a lot of drugs. Like Boogie Nights is just like total Coke film at the, by the, by the, maybe the second hour. It's just Coke nonstop. Um, but then in this second phase like these guys like become more interested in um i don't know the sweep of american history or something i mean i I did not i i I wouldn't if you told me in the 90s that like pta was going to make a movie that was going to be about oil uh in the 19th century or that tarantino was going to be making movies about slavery and nazis in world war ii i would have been surprised like that wouldn't have been the direction i would have anticipated Yeah, I guess that's just everybody turns into a History Channel dad eventually on a long enough timeline. (laughs) That's hard. Um, Yeah, Boogie Nights is something that I I, I, I feel like I could watch a million times in part because of that rise and fall. Um, And and that that part of it seems like they're not really interested in making rise and fall movies anymore. That structure, like Boogie Nights does seem like a a somewhat more simplistic movie than something like Phantom Thread or The Master. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, now, uh, yeah. It, the the current thing is to seems to be to try to intentionally defeat traditional uh, narrative structure. That's like a mark of of 
of complexity. Like you can certainly see that with specifically Anderson and, and Tarantino too. Really, I mean, uh, like Inglorious Bastards is incredibly perverse if you think about it. The way that it's set up and what it promises, and then how it's actually it actually plays out. Uh, he he. Uh, they're but they both seem to me to be interested in the latter half now of their career in in sort of intentionally denying. Uh, 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 the audience a settled narrative uh, shape. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Hateful Eight took me a while to even figure out what the fuck was happening. Yeah, and it, it's still, it's still when the voiceover comes in, maybe like an hour and a half into the movie, I'm like always thrown off because mm-hmm. it seems completely impossible. I mean, do you think of these? Do you think there will be? I we will see uh, filmmakers. Um, like these guys again because it seems like we you mentioned Scorsese you mentioned this like we talk about this whole easy riders raging bulls sort of generation uh, it feels like that stuff even I mean I know PTA and Tarantino aren't boomers but it feels like it's all a part of that sort of huge cultural outburst and I don't know if younger people and by that I mean like I don't know, Zoomers and shit. I don't know if they're fucking into this stuff. Like, I don't know if they're watching Phantom Thread. I don't know if that's, like, sort of their thing. And I don't know if there will be someone who's, like, the PTA. Uh, you oh, know, the, the Zoomers? The, yeah, the PTA oh, of boy. the Zoomers. Yeah. I don't think so, just because I think the, uh, it's that forums change. Right. Like, what, what people like, like, not just in terms of the content, but the form that they take their entertainment in change as as the, condi- the technological and social conditions of their lives change. And people coming up now they just have a completely different relationship to reality and i think that means that they're going to they're not they're not going to generate the sort of the sort of art forms uh, in the same way that the 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 previous ones had yeah and in that sense watching a movie like boogie nights feels old-fashioned um and and it's it's weird to say that because like you know when, when i was a kid these filmmakers were like the cutting edge and i'm not saying they're like passe now or they suck or something like that in fact it's the opposite i, I still love their work i think they're making like really oh, yeah. vital thought, amazing work i thought uh once upon a time hollywood it might be his best movie that's what i'm saying uh, like that's fucking weird that like they yeah. keep getting better and better and yeah. better and yet you know that that zeitgeisty thing that they were a part of in the 90s is just not there anymore yeah no they, they seem like they were a part of a broader movement and now like the other parts of that movement have largely faded away uh and they're sort of left over just because you know the the legacy and the talent have been such that they've been able to turn themselves into brands uh, uh and that so many is, of the others though like the indie filmmakers of the 90s they had their indie films and that was that you know like they didn't become like named auteurs you know they did yeah. the people that made the uh, uh um that made all those Tarantino ripoffs like yeah. they didn't really survive they're not and, so and the, the ones who are coming up now though like look at what happens like look at a guy like Ryan Coogler right right Ryan Coogler made uh I have not seen uh Fruitvale Station but people say it's very good I'll take their word for it uh, and then his next movie was a reboot of the Rocky movie, and then he made Black Panther. Mm. Like that is the trajectory for anybody who shows any kind of of, of talent or promise on That's a small a, those scale. Those are all now. fucking snooze fests. But you know who, you know who's good though. Like there are two filmmakers. What like the Eggers dude? Like that made. The oh yes, movie. Robert Eggers is 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 he has not yet uh, been sucked into the thing. But he's you know it's only two movies in. We'll see. Dude, if there if Robert, 
if he makes a fucking Iron Man movie, dude. <laughs> but like the yeah, the, those films and the the guy that uh, oh Ari Oster, uh, the Safdie brothers, of course. Yes. I mean the A twenty four people. Like that's what we have now instead of. Like we we that used to be discrete brands, but now they're really all packaged into one company. Yeah, and you need to ha- you kind of have to in order because you need an economy of scale to stand up to the forces of of monopolization in entertainment. And so now, like A twenty four is the like the sub brand of like it, it, the specific auteurs within it are part of this sort of uh, like a a genreified uh, like re- art wave. It uh, feels that, like it, silent film era again. They're like yeah. you know, there's just it's a studio. It's like a studio. Yeah, like film. Max Roach is there yelling into a giant the megaphone, wearing jodhpurs. I taught a class uh, for a semester at uh, at Emerson College in in Hollywood a couple semesters ago, and every it was an internship program for all these kids that come to L.A. and want to be working in Hollywood. And every one of them they get to put like number one choice, you know, where they want to intern. A24, A24, everyone, baby. I mean, everyone. everyone wants it. Yeah. And it was literally, you know, on, on Sunset Boulevard there, it's like A24 um, and Hulu and Netflix. And those are the three places you're going to go. Oh, there's an Amazon studio there. They call it, I don't know if you know this, but they call that area of Sunset Boulevard now Silicon Beach. Uh-huh. Um, it's so fucking ugly, dude. And it's exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. And yet I'm sitting here being like, oh. A twenty four movies are pretty good. <laughs> There's a lot of good ones, um, and and it doesn't. But it doesn't feel like that aesthetic of like uh, PTA or Tarantino fits in A twenty four at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they like for one thing, they don't seem as dedicated to maintaining a a genre niche as the A twenty four people. Like what do you they, mean by that? Well, like Ari Aster, his thing is, and, and Robert Eggers' things are both. Well, they make horror movies that aren't scary. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't think you could do that with Tarantino, even that earlier in their careers. I mean, I guess maybe crime with Tarantino, but that's like, that's not really a genre the way that horror is. And then, uh, like, PTA, I don't think you could even say that after his first two movies. Anything that, like, uh, that, uh, uh, that restraint constrained. Mm. The witch is scary, dude. What are you talking about? Eh. I don't think any of those A twenty four horror movies are, are like, and I understand like horror films don't have to be scary, but it seems like they're so not scary that, that, <laughs> that calling them horror seems to be part of more of a marketing scheme than any like d- descriptive relationship to the films. It's weird, you know. I just watched. I don't know if this is an A twenty four film. No, it's not. I just watched uh, Possessor, the uh, the Cronenberg, uh, right? The Brandon Cronenberg. Brandon yes. Cronenberg. Yes. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, new generations and and the, it, you know, the aesthetic is so um, is so different than like any and it's so like it's it's you know it's digital. It's in camera effects. There's a lot of like swirling colors and faces coming out of things. I mean, it's incredible looking. But I'm also like, this is not the type of like. Um, technological like virtuosic camera shit that like PTA or Tarantino are into and that's what makes me feel feel like they're part of like an older generation that was like loved cameras loved film love that sort of like they're sort of the people that really were into all the you know David Fincher like he's how much of a fucking geek is he for like lenses and shit oh god right like like I feel like that's partly all Fincher cares about in some ways like he's just a photographer um but either way it feels like the the A24 look the aesthetic is not engaged in that sort of like let's uh let's let's set up the copa you know and light the copa for 
for you know for for days as we try and like make this sweeping tracking shot it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's really the interest of virtuosic type filmmakers anymore it's not what they want to show off i think that's true yeah that 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 is a useful division it's like that that auto reference film as as craft film as uh as like a technological uh uh element that one like masters one way or the other they're like hostile the to thing. it like yeah. didn't i mean tarantino's like i'll never i mean isn't that jack horner i'll never make a movie on video like you'll yeah, never yeah. see me do that that's bullshit like that's not art like yeah. i am a filmmaker yeah. right and i feel like tarantino i mean Tarantino is in is is in uh, Boogie Nights, like when John C. Riley is saying, like violence is something that plagues us <laughs> plagues as a as society. A, well, clearly coked out of his right. mind. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, violence that's ta- Tarantino. Us as a society. Right at that Con Film Festival. He yep. like he's exact. Um, but but that sort of thing, like it, it, you know, it, it's it's they're they're luddites in some ways. I mean, Tarantino is like, I don't want to fucking. I'm a filmmaker. I'm not in yep. this. And it feels like in some ways that dooms them to always have their own genre apart from whatever the kids are doing. Well, and that's, I think, the explanation for that probably boils down once again to the material reality that nobody's going to give a young person a fucking camera with film in it. <laughs> Dude, it costs expensive. so much. It's yeah. expensive. You are going to start from scratch. You have to accept you're going to be doing digital. You're also, if you want to make a movie with guns and shooting in them, you're probably not going to be able to do squibs and uh, and blanks because it's cost too much to insure in insurance to have a real firearm on the set. And so you have to, before you've even shot a frame, have made peace with the fact that that element of the art of filmmaking is out of your reach. And so, I mean, just out of us, out of, you know, uh, artistic self-preservation you have to let that go whereas tarantino and pta and these guys they don't have to because they were coming up at a time when you could still get a camera filled with film to shoot a movie with if you were a young director god that's so amazing because that that really is the 90s discourse to me and probably why i fucking ended up studying film in college because i was like i can be like these guys but it was literally like you know uh kevin smith made clerks for ten thousand dollars and robert rodriguez made uh desperado for five dollars or whatever it was really all about sort of like the the skill of an indie filmmaker in gathering money and making a film and it's like that you don't have to do any of that anymore in other words like the technology for making films cheaper was just wasn't really happening in the 90s they still had to do that so like the whole skill of raising tons of money and making an indie film production i don't know if anybody really does that anymore do you like people with no money rate like do a gofundme to make a film everyone's gonna tell them why don't you do it on digital dude that's the thing yeah there's no way you would be able to to it would be the thing uh, it would be a deal of it's, it would be presumptuous yeah like we have the technology to do this cheaply digitally who are you to ask for right film? right yeah like i said i need millions of dollars because it's got to be on film because i'm a filmmaker yeah. i'm not a video i'm not a digital guy yeah, yeah. that's a, that that's gone that feels like yeah. it's gone yeah, so, I think Eggers might be the only one because apparently, I don't know, I think he shot The Lighthouse on like antique film. <laughs> so so he's still know, doing that shit with like Cooper like getting gimmick. like NASA lenses to shoot the candles in Barry Lyndon. Yeah, All but you got to have some very, sort of specific gimmick about it. You can't do it as a matter of course. Right, because, like because just the, make a the film. ledger won't allow it, yeah. Well, I mean, you add you, you add in um, you know the other the, the the distribution and and theater exhibition changing um, during COVID, and it's the recipe for like a total 
shift even further, I think, away from the kind of filmmaking that Tarantino and PTA and the other guys we mentioned sort of represent. Um, it's, it, you know, it's not their era. And yet at the same time, they're, I am dying to see more films by them. Uh, and that's sort of like the, the curse of being sort of, um, I don't know, trained to see a certain way. Uh, you, you mentioned that like Pulp Fiction in those films were like, like, like basically beamed right at us yeah. uh, and beamed right at a certain generation, certainly of young male in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, and that stuff like really, that's, that was quality to me. Um, and now, you know, as we move forward, it's like, I have to, I have to not, in order to not be the old man, I have to like, mm -hmm. I have to like see differently. You know what I mean? Like, and that part of it's kind of a, uh, kind of tricky because my favorites are still seeing the same way. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, I can't, I can't, I can't change my brain at this point, you know? Well, that's why, uh, I think that answers the question of why you go back and watch Boogie Nights and Goodfellas yeah. again and again, um, yeah. because there, there, there's something warm, uh, there's something, <laughs> yeah. there's something to that ride that you've ridden, you've ridden before and you want to be on it. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's, it's a part of being cozy pilled, honestly, is watching these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of having to be reminded every time you're watching a new film, like all of the stuff that's clearly not meant for you, that's clearly like going either under or over your perception and, and, and that feels wrong in some way. But but you you and then if you try to find yourself building up some sort of argument for why it's objectively wrong, you just slowly realize, oh, I'm just being a cranky old man. Yeah. So it's it's more fun to just watch watch the old good movies. Then you don't have to worry about that. No, that's what I do. Uh, um, I, I had a friend, a friend, a, a guy on the couch. That's what we call friends. Uh, in, in in my early twenties, who we used to all get stoned together and watch movies, and he never wanted to watch anything new. He was like, "Don't show me anything. New. <laughs> like, don't show me anything I haven't seen." Um, and I always thought that was sad, but now I kind of understand the like the the sort of like you grab on. Everyone does that. Everyone sort of grabs onto what they like and 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 sort of you know sits in it forever. Yep. Matt, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking some time to talk about PTA with me. Always a pleasure. All right, Nostalgia Trappers, that is going to do it for today. I want to thank my guest, Matt Christman. Always super fun talking with Matt. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know we'll be talking with Matt again sometime soon. Speaking of that, we've got lots of really cool stuff planned for Nostalgia Trap in 2021. You guys are totally making it happen. So thanks so much for being a patron of the show. It means everything to us, and we will be talking to you very soon. Okay, see ya.